Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Randy? I'm doing good, too. So I wanted to ask you about a guest jammer who you just had in town recently. And tell us who that was and what that experience was like. Yes, we were very fortunate to have the famous Chipper Bro Bell join us for a jam on Kailua Beach on the grass. And uh, that was a wonderful experience. We actually had... um, pretty nice wind coming in over the berms was uh, a little strong but it was consistent and chip really got to show off his santa barbara wind game he was rolling and doing really long sets and i forgot how good he is at mob opping up close so he was i would do a chest roll and he'd get right on my right hip and he'd hoop it coming out and another thing that he would do is um, lift his leg over kick brushes or um, he would do a roll and then he would follow it but he wouldn't go to catch it he would hoop it to me Ah, oh, man it was so much fun and of course by the end of it all three of us were exhausted because we were just running all over that field but man it was great to have chip and it was great to see that style and just uh, i love that up close uh, mob hopping style Wow. Well, lucky you. I'm incredibly envious and uh, God, I haven't jammed with Chip in so long. we kind of bringing back some memories of what that energy is like with him, you know, and he's so good at, you know, really paying attention to what the person is doing and how to give and receive and really he telegraphs incredibly well. So you can just get in the zone and, uh, you know, to jam with somebody like Chip. What a dream, right? Mm-hmm. It was a dream. We had a great time. Yeah, well, it's so interesting. You know, it's it's always great when guest jammers come to town, but that has been far and few between. Is that how you say that? Far and few? Few and far between? Few and far. <laughs> how does it go? How do you say it? Few and far between. Wait, far and few. Be- no, now you got me confused. I don't know. No, shoot. <laughs> I think it's few and far between. Okay. But that's been few and far between considering, you know, everything that's been happening. So... Uh, I'm hoping that in the not-too-distant future, guest jammers will be appearing in everybody's location here soon. Yes, definitely. Um, If anybody wants to come to Oahu, we would love to have you. The offer is always open. You know, why don't we get into today's episode? We are going to finish our conversation with Crazy John Brooks, and he is going to tell us more about his experience in Japan. Enjoy. So I want to I want to kind of steer back to Japan. I don't want to let go of that quite yet. So we just recently interviewed Daniel O'Neill and uh, he was in Japan not too long ago and he was remarking to us about how rich the freestyle history is in Japan and he had said something crazy to us like god they had the Japan freestyle open and there were seven players and I was like what there were 70 freestylers so During your time there, did you get to tap into that freestyle community? And was it that alive and rich? I I don't know about number of players. Um, We held the Japan Nationals. We we produced all these events, a company that I work with, uh, beginning with Alternate Hero Kobo into uh, Hero Kobo and then Hero Disc, what have you. But they produce all of the flying disc events over there. I don't know if we had that, that busy of a roster 
we had your classic historic freestylers there, and then you have your like players that were from the Rose Bowl, which are like you know gods. I want to say you know the Japanese enjoy a they enjoy a you know complimentary disposition and support and compliment those and things around them. And I don't think that they're one to necessarily outdo one another, but to win as a together. I did notice that Japan would yield to its better players when there was an international audience. And I think some players weren't told to not play, but I think it was just like, you know, let's just put our best out there and let's not waste our guests time. I don't know if you can grasp that, you know, just out of nothing but respect for the game and, and wanting people to see the best possible renditions, you know, they could. And remember, the Japanese were really, um, they're so responsible for gathering a lot of that Rose Bowl footage. There's some archival things that are just key to the learning process that before the internet and what have you, you know, they were rolling that 16 millimeter out there for years. And uh, it's quite a good bank of footage um, out there if you if you dig in the right place yeah and what's cool about that too is that they took that footage you could tell that they were mirroring their games after like you go oh my god there's joey style and there's a donnie style and you know it's like you could see you know the players of the day in their styles bringing it back to japan yes trying to like Literally trying to incorporate a little bit out of all of the top players into one routine, and you know, yeah, just out of it, just out of love, and and uh, yeah, even the leg warmers made it. Yeah, that was uh, that was a <laughs> tough fit, man. <laughs> just tough, short lived, uh, but yeah. Know. I never owned a pair myself, but I, I, I definitely uh, enjoyed the, the small time that it was prevalent. Okay, you, you know, you really know what you're doing when you have leg warmers and you're barefoot. <laughs> so that was me, part of my, you know, that's just your basic Midwest dumbass right there. So I was like, who was that one guy? I saw him now. These other guys, these other fellas got them shoes on. This one fellow's got his sweater wrapped around his ankles. He's walking around tiptoe. <laughs> I never got it's like it's freaking eighty five degrees out and people putting sweaters on their legs. <laughs> like that does yeah. not compute. Even in a just a no breeze sweat sometimes. And you'd reach down every if you ever had to scratch inside your leg warmer and you're like, man, I gotta dry off. <laughs> That's pretty gross. <laughs> inside the leg warmer with Jake and Ren. I didn't even uh, know what a leg warmer was. I just had to have what those guys did so I could play like them. Oh, totally. I saw Donnie have it. I, Donnie was my idol. I'm like, I got to get some. I never ended up buying any because we couldn't afford a leg warmer at the time when I was a young guy. And I was like, oh. I got to get it. Donnie's got leg warmers. Done. You know, there you go. You keep, you know, we keep uh, keeping our spool of thread going here. Donnie and Camilla uh, were my partners uh, after both Chip and... Joey left, so... Tell us about Donnie and Camille. I would love to hear that. On the grounds that it may incriminate me, I have to plead the fifth on this. I am going to have to step back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, uh, you know what? These guys are crazy about each other. That's the first thing you got to know about these two. I mean, they spent every every moment together. You know, it all started in such a wonderful place. That's what I like about it. When, when I think about this, I, I have to remember, isn't it now crazy? What this means is that they are allowing you to remember that you got to partner with both Joey and Donnie. So it's weird. They're so different experiences and 
and thus different outcomes. So I think that's uh, what becomes clear for me. I learned so much from both, but <clears throat> I learned maybe from one, maybe more I learned about myself rather than the game. Just because the, the our periods of life that we were in, um, Camilla and my uh, bride at the time, Tracy, uh, were became really good friends. And uh, through the traveling, they were Donnie and Camilla in Vegas then. Uh, Donnie and I didn't really have much of a platform. Uh, we had no experience together. We were, you know, kind of just tossed together. But Donnie, like I said, perfectionist, uh, only took yes for an answer. Um, had again, her and him and Camilla already have so many assets built that I was the add-on instead of, you know, like I said, uh, Chippy and I had a pretty solid package that Joey would now supplement and incorporate and infuse himself into. Well, it wasn't the case here. It was mostly based on Donnie and Camilla and, you know, their deep experience uh, that far. And they were, you know, they're the epitome of the working team back then. They were making the nice dollar, but they're also doing the circus. They're doing the carnivals. They're doing the outdoor, you know, the production gigs like 220 410 515 you know like in chip of the nuts buried situation you know those kind of gigs are very cut and dry no room for no give i remember they're on the incredible sunday the field goal world record back in 89 um donnie and camilla did a freestyle segment there i don't know if they know this but this is about one in the morning they finally get called up for rehearsal i got to rehearse mine they did this last they went right after me. So now it's one thirty in the morning and they're just starting. But they had this routine they could just walk in on. Bam, boom, bang. You've seen it. They did the video. They're really sweet. They nailed it. They worked so hard and they nailed this routine. Big, nice, big Las Tuna Studios, you know, open sound stage, beautiful setup. Just they killed it. The guy the next morning said, uh, where's your where's your freestyle, your trick, the trick couple? Oh, well, they're, they're around. I can find them. He goes, oh, no, it's okay. Listen, just let them know. Sorry, but we couldn't use them this time. I'm like, oh, no, man, what happened? You know, what could have passed? That was just not, that could have been one of the greatest things to ever go on television for freestyle. And I found out that what happened was they had built this really busy set with some big old dolly tracks and this huge thing full of concrete blocks on this thing. Donnie and Camilla got bumped out by... Jojo, the pit bull that could drag 3,500 pounds, 12 feet, I think it was. And that got, could you believe that? Wow. Who was in charge? What, what happened? I mean, I mean, it was like, it was like one P to call. And we were, we were one P to call away from having Donnie and Camilla play for like 10 million people. I'm telling you, that was, could have been awesome. Man, always getting upstaged by pets and kids, man. That's just Damn. the way it is. Damn dogs. Dogs and kids. Eight it was, but we went in and uh, the guy wanted the first question was, we were introduced really nice by the Anheuser Bush guy and we're down in the tunnels in an office talking to this guy at whatever stadium it was. And he's so, where's the dog? So I've also learned that you produced the Halloween parties at the Playboy Mansion. So how did you fall into that gig? Playboy, I was, uh, I got hired as a crew chief first. Uh, a young lady, Erin uh, Hart, introduced me to, uh, she has some Frisbee history also of the East Coast, uh, introduced me to one of her clients, was the Playboy property there, Mr. Hefner's uh, residence there in Holmby Hills. And uh, the GM, the property manager there, was a good friend of hers. We'd been to a couple parties there, but uh, 
before this time, we'd go by for lunch. And she told him that I was doing music festivals. I uh, co-founded a sweet festival. One of my favorites was the Wakarusa, but that um, was a large-scale gig. And uh, I said, hey, if you ever need any help out here, you know, let me know. I'm out here a lot. And he goes, before I'd even turned around, we're leaving the property, walking out the front. He says, all right, well, why don't you come out and be my crew chief for Halloween? So I said, oh, my God, sure. But then uh, I found out the second day, they didn't have this going on. So I kind of was doing that. And then they're going, okay, well, listen, do you think you could handle that then? And then by the third day, they uh, made me lead carpenter, site manager. I was, it was just a music festival to me. So I love that stuff. So, yeah, so I got, got hired on there. I was there for eight years. Wow, eight years. So it's the biggest property of the year for them. Um, you know, it's over five acres. So there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong in that amount of space, um, especially in this town with as many guests. You know, you have a couple thousand guests sometimes. It's just a lot. Uh, people have died there before. Uh, one person while I was uh, not on property, but on job. But, uh, you know, what guys, people do when they get around alcohol and pretty girls. So, uh, couple of cool things. It brought the Bell family there, Chipper Kelly and the kids. They came down. They had a lot of fun at one of these parties. Got locked into the rubber wall room with the lion's head doorknob. That's the one you want to get stuck in right there. <laughs> but uh, I remember uh, Sam Farron's. Um, I would have as my right hand on show nights. Um, he was perfect for the job. Tall, strong, followed strict instructions. And um, and I was lucky enough to have residence privileges and drive on and was given unfettered access there. I earned it. I got to say, I was, you know, very, I love doing this kind of work. Um, and uh, and I think uh, we made a good match. There was a production manager there before that just didn't have a rapport and he was mean. And he, um, I think I kind of took note of that. Uh, because what these guys needed, we took care of them the first day. I remember setting out some rules and I um, just let them know is that everything's going to be fine. Let's focus on how you doing. Happy Thursday. Happy Tuesday. Please. Thank you. I love you. Those kind of things. And it just it took off. It's all right. Played Frisbee on that property quite a bit. Um, End of a Champion Disc has been a sponsor of mine since their inception and uh, or supporter of mine, I should say. And uh, so I remember Sam making sure we had some superheroes down there and a folding target and we had anybody and his brother playing down there it was awesome so who do you think's been forgotten as a, a freestyle player a player that you thought was one of the best of the generation but you just don't hear about anymore hmm. interesting well i always had i always i really enjoyed kate dow's game uh but i know she's super happy and and it is what it is. Whatever she likes is what I like. So I like that. I have a lot of respect for Kate. And uh, hey, I, I heard you mention Aspen. Can I tell you something just reflect on me? Is that Chip and I got, uh, we were in the perfect part of town to be snowed on first. We'll put it that way. That was, it was just an interesting town. Of course, it's changed over the years. Uh, but I do remember just getting there maybe 10 days in the spring for this thing called winter school. It was a big old blowout. They do the night skis and uh, it's a big kind of a uh, spring break at Aspen, but it was in April, man. I remember one time uh, we were just out party. We got a lot of spare time. Come on. If you work in five minutes, you know, maybe like a really busy day would be like three or four or five minute shows and some, sometimes no warm up because we're doing it in our sleep. No disrespect at all. We warmed up till we were ready. And if we were ready, we didn't have to worry about warming up. 
Because the whole thing about Bud Light is we can go anywhere, anytime it's on. But some of this spare time almost killed us. Let me just remind one time was we were out messing around and we called a cab. We wanted to go, you know, find a bar or something. And then the cab shows up and it's one of those 54 Chevys like in New York City. Checker cab. And I'm going to guess maybe like within an hour, we were having full-blown beers and doing a lot of things. And then all of a sudden, I, I have to go back and physically recall this. Is that I remember hearing the radio and then Chip, first thing, you know, Chip sort of answering it back. Yeah, go ahead, car 32, fun. Just spontaneously. And I'm going to say in just a handful of minutes, I looked, I realized that Chip was now driving the cab. And the cab driver was in the back with me now, having fun and doing all that stuff with the California and, you know, the Aspen. You just can't tell what's going to happen. Leaving that town, I remember we did run into, we were, uh, held at gunpoint by the airport security. I remember that. We were goobing in the parking lot across an old Amfac hotel, DFW. There was this little uh, parking garage. It was easy to kind of goob and scoot. But we were in our spot, and all of a sudden, freeze! These guys were sure we were trafficking cocaine. We had a locker because we put all our fudge in the locker before we go messing around. DFW was our favorite, our most frequented airport back then. So the guy made us smash our dugouts and then throw them in the trash can. We had that figured out. But then he said, you know, we're waiting for the Dallas police. You know, we're going to do the transfer. But uh, the guy's radio wasn't working properly, and he had to let us go. I mean, he had us everything down to hands on the car and everything. Freeze. And another guy, freeze. And the guys with their guns, gun. This is a hold it. And his radio wasn't working properly. Wouldn't he not? We got, we just walked off. We were back 10 minutes later. Got our fakey smash oneies out of the trash box and got out of there. You guys are pretty lucky on that one. <laughs> yeah, real lucky. A lot of luck. So how did you get the name Crazy John Brooks? I think it was stupid before it was crazy, but I, you know, <laughs> pain in the butt before stupid, just before that was, I don't know. I don't know that there's an actual moment. The closest I can get is to where, I mentioned to you at Ole Miss, I become obsessed with the delay and stuff. When I started dropping my classes, I lost my scholarship. You know, I had a 381 first semester and I flunked out second semester. I gave up on uh, any of those, a uh, few of the elective courses and just kept all my music classes and just for the experience. Uh, but uh, yeah, they were pretty much saying, you're a dumbass. So I think it was dumbass before crazy. I really don't know. That just kind of caught up. I wish I could figure that out. It's a question I get a lot. Yeah, it just happened over the years, which I'm hearing a lot of your stories. I think it makes sense. It seems to fit pretty well. Glad to be around. So let's say you have the opportunity to pick any three players you want, and you get to go jam on Hard Pack Beach in Thailand with the perfect wind. It's your dream jam. Which three players would you bring with you? Man, that hard-packed sand. I love that. Well, I've got to bring my partners, Joey and Chip. And it makes me think about, makes me thinking about Richie Mull because he was so good on the waterfront. He's so good. He just fits with any group, Richie Smits. He's, uh, you know, he's got the old school. He can regenerate. That's what you need on the beach. You know, I'm, I'm, I suck at brushing. I, I just wasn't a beach player. Plus, I'm shoes. I, I'm from the Midwest. You know, uh, you know, with respect to the, to the beach game, to the sand game. 
yeah, I think it would be great to be back with the with the guys again, Chip, Joey, and Richie Mull. Wow, that uh, that'd be a great team. I wish I could. Monkey be Man. Oh, yeah, there I you go. Monkey Man was a Bud Light uh, alternate. Also, he got the best hookup. I blew my knee in Seattle, and you want to hear some dumb shit before Crazy John stories? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> So we're in the, it's the Washington States, I think it was called. It was this beautiful park, maybe called Washington Park. I don't know. It was beautiful. Water had these incredible gardens in it. And that was the venue. They had distance at these uh, school fields, really sweet, except they had a fence. Looked like that was going to get into play. So this was 85. So this was Kingdom. We had just uh, had a great experience at the final four there at the Kingdom. In the morning, just spontaneously, I reached over and I, I, I saw this uh, knee immobilizer, leg immobilizer, and I said, hey, I'm going to freak everybody out. So I wore this onto the field. And it, and it just like, whoa, dude, Bud Light's out. No, crazy, he's out. So they're done. So, that, okay, let's see who's up. You know, like Fogel, Burris back then, that was kind of, we were, it was kind of tight, I remember. I wore the thing in, you know, and then it got to distance, which was my first event of the day. And I took the immobilizer off and they had me some cleats. And, they, and I think the attitude was to think, I'm like, oh, he's really going to try and play hurt? And then I just started bombing these throws. And I think the cat was out of the hat, out of the bag, whatever. And then I threw this one, and then I heard, audibly heard my knee just give way. Just, it's done. So I did win the distance, and I do remember that they had to use that tape to go under the fence. So we threw it out of the park, but they had you know, used the tape to go through the chain link. Yeah. But I actually, the the moral, the, the the punchline of this is that I I required that immobilizer to leave the field that day, oh, and it was uh, a miracle that it was there, other than such pain. But you know, I had a cantaloupe in about two hours. They flew me to you know, what the next day, Memphis or Kansas City, one or the other, Kansas City. So monkey, I'm just saying this leads up to because the tour continues going to Hawaii next in a heart show uh, that was in uh, Pensacola. So these are the two gigs the monkey got to walk on. He got to walk on to Honolulu and he and walk on to that nice uh, music package. Those music tour packages were big. I remember getting a letter from my coordinator in St. Louis that had a copy of a letter or a quote it was referring to this letter that he'd gotten from the distributor in Honolulu about some, uh, what I'm just going to tell you. So Monkey decided to smoke a joint just right there in the parking lot of where they were fixing to do a, an appearance. And it kind of got back to the boss, if you know what I mean. You know, I still don't know how he avoided you know, like getting fired or getting shut down, but I think that people, things got spun before it got back. I don't know. I think they just take, took care of us. Anheuser-Busch, all that shit in China, that stuff could have, I could have been horrible. But uh, yeah, I'm really lucky they stood behind us. Yeah, it is amazing that Bud Light didn't turn that spigot off earlier regarding that whole tour. But, you know, they were such dynamic personalities that I'm not surprised they were able to keep it going as long as they did just because of who they were and how dynamic they were. Yeah, totally. Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about Monkey Man, who um, Crazy mentioned. Uh, Monkey Man is actually Danny Sullivan, who is another really great uh, freestyler from back in the day. Um, and when I was a new player, I actually saw him play and um, really stuck out in my mind. So I was just starting to meet all the players. I knew Tommy, I knew Skippy, I knew a bunch of the people in San Francisco, and of course the local jam scene where I was in Santa Rosa. Uh, and I went to a tournament. I can't remember which one it was, but it was uh, somewhere in 
in the the Bay Area. And Danny showed up and he went on and I thought I knew everybody. Who is this guy? So he's uh, doing a handstand catch under his leg and he's doing some other moves. But the one thing that really stuck out in my head was that he's delaying the disc and then he brushes it on his finger and just add spin and add spin and add spin. And I thought that skill would be an amazing skill to have because then you never run out of spin. Anytime you get in trouble, you just bam, 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 wind it back up and you keep going. And so the very next day at home in my living room, I'm practicing that and I can do it now, even though I don't use it as much as I thought I would. It's a pretty cool skill. Yeah, so that's interesting. It's kind of like a down low psycho bash, you know? It's like the down low version instead of going up top with your right hand and a karate chop. It's a, it is an interesting thing because you, you can use it to both add spin, but if you're just sort of out of control, a little a little tip in a brush brings the disc right back up, especially if you're on a brushing run and it's getting away, tip brush, boom, and you're back in business. And it, my skill for that really came from seeing Danny Sullivan. Yeah. Well, you know, what a dream jam that Craze mentioned. So it's Joey, Chip, Monkey Man, Richie Smits, and Crazy. Uh, I would certainly sit down in a chair and pay admission to watch that jam. Totally. I would too. So that, that actually brings a question to my mind. Randy, what is your dream jam? Well, right now, I would say that any jam is my dream jam, considering what we've all been through. So any chance that I get to jam right now is a dream. And on that note, Jake, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, Shooting the Frisbees, and live streaming freestyle frisbee. Oh, yeah!